Hello and welcome back to Silver Age Silver Screen, the podcast where we watch, discuss, and review sci-fi, cult, superhero, and other stereotypically geeky works. I'm your co-host, Casey Charms. And I'm your other co-host, Riley Thorpe. And Riley, there's an art in making a good sequel. Yes, absolutely. Specifically, in giving it a good title. Sure, you could just put two at the end, but you could also do something dumb and, like, name it Revenge or Returns or Electric Boogaloo or do, like, that crazy shit they did with Rambo. Do you know what the Rambo movies are called? Yeah, like, the first one's, like, Last Blood... And then it's Rambo, Last Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, Rambo, and then Rambo, Last Blood. First Blood was the first one. Like, yeah, that was dumb. So anyway, this is my segue into talking about the fact that the sequel to X-Men is called X2, except in all the marketing, they called it X2 X-Men United. And in England, they did the smart thing and called it X-Men 2. People have said for years that this is the best in this series. That said... Whether or not you agree or disagree with that is irrelevant. What we can all agree on is that X2, X-Men United, is the stupidest title in the entire franchise. That's universal among everybody. This is such a stupid name. What are we going to call it? X-Men 2? Nah, nah, nah. That'd be too easy. Let's call it X2, because fuck you. So anyway, this is a sequel to X-Men, which we reviewed a few months back. Overall, we thought, pretty good movie. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good casting and acting. Like, the stuff with Wolverine and Rogue was great. The stuff with Professor X and Magneto was phenomenal. The rest of the team was a bit shaky at times. But overall, fairly good movie. Right, yeah. It was the biggest surprise for me personally. Like, I grew up watching this series, and I was a big fan of the sequel, not as much a fan of the first one, but watching and reviewing the first one for the show a couple months back, I gained a whole new appreciation for it. Although that said, the common idea that this one is much better than the first one, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that still holds true, because I really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I mean, I still do think, because here's my thing. I have a lot of issues with this film, but in many ways, I still really enjoy this. It's a damn great time to watch. That said, I do have a number of flaws, and I might have more flaws with this one than the first one, but I don't know. We'll get into it. I'm glad you liked it, and uh, I'm glad that we're reviewing this series in general because once the MCU reboots the X-Men, people are pretty much going to consider that like the definitive version of the X-Men. Not necessarily. Like, people still think Tobey Maguire's the definitive Spider-Man. True. Even though Andrew Garfield was the best Spider-Man, I stand by that. He was the best acted Spider-Man. His films had some massive writing problems, but I think he was good in the role. I think it was a mixed bag. But we're talking about X-Men today. I'm glad that we're just making sure that the world doesn't forget about this franchise, because... There is still enough to enjoy and talk about. Yes, yes, because this movie that made $400 million, it'll be forgotten if we don't talk about it. Yeah, but it also came out like 17 years ago. You know what? Fair enough. Films from 17 years ago, no one ever remembers those. Like, what even came out in 2003? 
Have you seen this movie before this last week? No, but still. Point made. Let's see, 2003. Pirates of the Caribbean, Return of the King. Wow, there was a lot of crap in 2003. Too Fast, Too Furious. That was not a great year for film. Holes? Holes was good. My point is, my fear is that once the X-Men become a part of the MCU, people will stop caring about this franchise. And while half of the movies are garbage, I still think that it's worth talking about and worth remembering. Is that fair enough? Fair enough. So let's remember it. Let's talk about what happens. This film opens up with a man walking through the White House on a tour And when security tries to stop him, he just starts teleporting around. And we see that he's sort of a blue demon motherfucker with a devil tail. And he takes out all the Secret Service agents in this really, really good fight scene. The teleportation, like the special effects for them are great. Just that like smoke and they do some great choreography with Nightcrawler in that fight with him just teleporting around, taking everyone out. Yes. Nightcrawl just bounces around and he reaches the Oval Office and he almost stabs the president with a knife that says, shit, what does it say? Like, stop hurting mutants or some shit. It basically implicates mutants for the attempted assassination. I would like to say this is one of the best scenes in the entire movie, starting out with a fucking... It's just so good. Nightcrawler teleporting through the White House, taking out agents to the music... Like, slow-mo, the wire work, the choreography, it's all great. Nightcrawler, little piece of history about me, Nightcrawler is probably my favorite X-Men. I mean, who doesn't love Nightcrawler? A, he allows us to have really cool fight scenes like this. B, he's such a great idea in this complex character, and they get a little of that in this film at times. Yeah, um, this movie also in large part, I mean... I'd say my top three X-Men are obviously Wolverine and Nightcrawler and Storm. Those are my three. Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm. And in large part, my love of Nightcrawler is due to this movie. He is really well represented, but there's a lot more in-depth character development to be made upon researching his character in the comics and the video games and animation and as well so did you know in the comics that there was an arc where an x-men villain tried to make nightcrawler pope <laughs> i'm sure it was the dumbest dumbest storyline in the history of marvel comics and that's saying something it was also revealed that nightcrawler is the son of the literal devil yeah He was originally gonna be the son of two women because Mystique's a shapeshifter, but Marvel didn't like that, so they made him the son of Satan, or a Satan. There's like ten Satans in Marvel Comics, all of whom are like, "Uh, no, no, I'm the real devil, that guy's just an imposter. And yet none of them have appeared in the MCU. I mean, they kind of had Azazel, although they didn't make him be Satan, just made him be a red demon. But that's not in the MCU. Or not, excuse me. (laughs) Brain fart. MCU means Marvel film, right? All Marvel films are MCU, like my parents thing. Yeah, like Batman. Someone listening to this is having a brain aneurysm. (laughs) So anyway, after that, we get some payoff for the ending of the last film. Like, you know how Logan got Biv's memories back and he was going to where he was turned into Weapon X? Well, he goes there and it isn't there. It's all abandoned. So he just drives home. But he sees a cute little wolf. 
Yeah. Wolverine isn't a wolf. Did they still think that when this film was being made? Oh, probably. Because I know that Hugh Jackman thought Wolverine was supposed to be a wolf dude in the first one. And Russell Crowe, we talked about this in the last episode, Russell Crowe was originally up for the role, but he didn't want to play a character with a lot of wolf imagery like he did in Gladiator. So he turned it down because he didn't know what a fucking Wolverine is. Then again, they're both from Australia where there are no Wolverines. So, you know, can't blame him too much. Yeah. Also, to be fair, the word Wolverine, I believe it just means wolf-like. Like that's what the animal's name is derived from. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. So anyway, it then cuts to the X-Men. And by the X-Men, I mean the students and their teachers on a field trip to a science museum. Jean Grey is starting to lose control of her powers and is just reading everyone's minds constantly. I'm sure that won't become a problem ever. This powerful psychic who can't control her abilities. And also, the teenagers are being teenagers. We got Bobby and Rogue and... Their friend James, who was an extra in the last one. Like, he created some fire that Iceman turned to ice, which pissed me off because that's not <laughs> how physics work. What the fuck was that? But yeah, they're hanging out and some people are bullies to them and they, like, steal John's lighter. So Iceman freezes the dude and John creates a bunch of fire and Professor X has to come in and just... Make everyone forget what's happening and be frozen for a bit because... What the fuck, kids? Like, you've been told not to use your powers in public. Don't be... Don't! <laughs> You're so grounded now, Bobby. Well, at the end of the day, all Professor X did in response to that was tell him, I told you not to. So what do you expect teenagers to do when they receive that kind of criticism? Like, just, no. No. Although... To be fair, going back to the fact that these films work because Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are phenomenal actors, we do get a little bit of fantastic acting. Like, you can tell how pissed he is, oh, yeah. even if he's just staying calm and saying, don't do that to Ken. Like, Patrick Stewart as Professor X might be the greatest casting in all of superhero cinema. It's He's so perfect. Yes, absolutely. Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen as their roles in these films. I'd also argue J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is basically... Oh, that's as, also a really good one. As close to heaven as you can possibly get. All three of them. Little fun fact for you. That scene where Professor X freezes all the people's minds and they're just frozen in place like that. That was actually not CGI. They had all real people act as like human statues. They were all minds. Hey, we need people to stand still. Hire the mimes! Like, does Fox normally just have an endless supply of mimes to call upon for scenes in their movies? I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> From there, we get a scene at the Oval Office where Senator Kelly and the central villain of this film, William Stryker, played by Charlie Cox. Not Charlie Cox. Brian Cox. Wrong cock, dude. Cox. Anyway, from there we cut to the Oval Office where the president is meeting with Senator Kelly who is still being impersonated by Mystique as well as the villain of this film, William Stryker, played by Brian Cox. 
they talk about how they believe that the attack was conducted by the X-Men and Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, where Stryker has been able to find out that it's a training ground for mutant soldiers, and he requests permission to attack them and take them prisoners. And the president says, yeah, fuck it, why not? Because politics, man. We gotta love him. We also find out that Stryker got this information by interrogating Magneto, who is imprisoned in a plastic prison. And Mystique perks up when she hears this and is like, What? Magneto? You have Magneto imprisoned somewhere? Tell me where Magneto is imprisoned. I want to visit him for no reason. I don't know. Mystique and Magneto have a lot of, like, there's a lot of subtle hints that something's going on between the two of them, romantically, sexually, no matter what have you. Yeah, she can shapeshift into all of his dead wives. Yeah, she can. He called her perfection. That's a joke, but that's also kind of a thing that happens later in this movie. Oh, yeah. What do you... Mystique's a weird character. We don't really find out much about her backstory or motivations other than she's loyal to Magneto and is very much mutant should be free. And then... The, like, prequel-ish trilogy. Do they count as prequels if one of them had a crossover with the future where the timeline was changed? Whatever. Those films with Jennifer Lawrence gave her backstory motivations, but they're different. Mystique's a weird character. Honestly, after First Class, they're just all non-canon to me. That's the way I interpret it. Even Days of Future Past? Yes. Well, there's no continuity between them. There's just so many continuity errors between all of them. Not not that they're not canon, it's just like, you know what, fuck it. It all changed, that's why. Because this movie takes place in its own continuity. Yeah, continuity in X-Men films, don't think about it. Right, exactly. I'm surprised that they didn't just steal Hawkman and Donna Troy from DC, considering how bad their continuity was. The scene at the president's office ends with Stryker telling Kelly that He's not going to let him see Magneto, and they're basically, he's ready to go to war. And in this scene, he says this really interesting line that I would like to just kind of, Stryker tells Kelly, he's like, I was storming the beaches of Normandy while you were sucking on your mama's titty. I looked it up. The actors are the same age. They were born the same year. <laughs> what? There's just such dumb, hilarious lines throughout this movie, just like that, that make it so fun. Do you think that William Stryker just has a great, great anti-aging regimen? Or do you think that Senator Kelly spent way too much time suntanning when he was younger? Turns out, Senator Kelly is like 20. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, to be perfectly honest with you. Instead of just at all relying on one, they both do it, and it just kind of evens out. I'm taking this joke way too far. Let's continue on with the review. Yeah, yeah. I love when we go on tangents that aren't really funny and no one cares about. Alan Richardson. So anyway, after the attack on the White House, Professor X and Cyclops go to Magneto's prison to ask him about the attack. Side note, why are they allowed to go to Magneto's prison? Right, exactly. If the world hates mutants so much, why are they allowing mutants to visit mutant terrorists? Why, why? Well, to be fair, do they even know they're mutants? Like, hi, I'm just a random rich school teacher, and this is my friend 
who is wearing sunglasses. Please let us into this maximum security prison. With a mutant terrorist? And to be fair, it is a trap from Stryker, but also Professor X visited him in the last movie. Very true, very true. My problem with the first film was that there were numerous plot holes in it, which would have been more excusable if this were like a more lighthearted, adventurous type movie where it's like, look, yeah, there's plot holes, but just shut up, have a good time. That's the point of this movie. But no, these films take themselves so seriously that I just felt like there's just so many gaps in logic. And that is also very present in this film as well. I think this film, in terms of being a sequel, it works very, very well as a sequel, but it also, a lot of the flaws from the first one carry over as well. And it's plot holes like that that just permeate both these movies. By the way, something we accidentally skipped earlier, there was a scene of William Stryker just beating the shit out of Magneto. Like, as a guard, beat the shit out of this old man so that he can then apply some mind control juice to the back of his neck and get information out of him. I mean, I feel like that would have a bigger impact on the world where you can just put a little squirts of water on someone's back and suddenly you control everything that they're thinking. To be fair, he's got a monopoly on the supply of the juice. Very true, but he also could become a billionaire by it, I think. Yeah, yeah, screw genocide. Let's just get rich. Like, dude, come on. That's my philosophy. You can do both. (laughs) But yeah... Cyclops and Professor X are lured into a trap. Gas fills Magneto's prison and knocks Charles out, whereas Cyclops is defeated in a fight by Stryker's bodyguard. Lady Deathstrike. Like, she's called Yuriko, which is her first name, but in the comics, she's called Lady Deathstrike, which is so extra. It really is. She's obviously, don't know much about her character, but I guarantee you she's a product of the 90s. And if not the 90s, then the 80s. Let's see, when was Lady Deathstrike created? 1983. Okay, well, Started thanks. out as a daredevil villain. Makes sense. Her father is named Lord Darkwind. <laughs> That's not offensive at all. Oh, and uh, another thing about Lady Deathstrike. In the comics, she has a big rivalry with Wolverine. But just like Sabretooth in the first film, the filmmakers didn't give a shit about comic book source material. So, fuck it. They have one fight, and that's it. It's exactly like Sabretooth in the first film, where they don't really have any, like, personal interactions, but, I mean, they fight at least. Yeah, yeah, they do. That that counts. Sabretooth and Lady Deathstrike each have one line in the movie, in their respective movies. Wait, oh shit, she only does- wait, what is that line? Is it yelling at Mystique the janitor? Yes. Right, right. But uh, another thing that we forgot to mention was Charles Xavier is having a hard time tracking down the mutant that tried to kill the president because his movements are very erratic. We don't know why. So he sends Jean Grey and Storm to go to Boston to track him down. And at this point, I would like to mention this movie's called X-Men United, right? Again, stupid title because for a movie called X-Men United... The X-Men spend a huge portion of this movie not united. I mean, they united the end. True, but they did that in the last one, and the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. 
Yeah, it's a dumb, dumb title. Yeah, so Jim and Storm go after Nightcrawler, and they have a little fight, and when they take him out, we get properly introduced to Nightcrawler, this German immigrant who used to be in a circus, who is a devout Catholic, who is such an interesting idea of a character. Like, he's covered in scars because he, like, carves one into his skin every time he sins. Just the idea of this dude who looks like Satan, who is actually this incredibly nice, kind person, is such a good idea. And Nightcrawler, he's just such a likable guy. I love Nightcrawler. Yeah, he is incredible as a character. And he's portrayed very, very well by Alan Cumming who, from what I understand, got the role of Nightcrawler because he is fluent in German. I mean, that's a good enough reason to cast someone. The good thing about it is he does do an incredible job portraying a very interesting character. Also, I'd like to also mention, it. I, I, I want to ask, what the fuck does it take to get rid of that mind control thing that Stryker has? Because it's shown throughout the movie that eventually it'll wear off, but it's also shown that you get, like, shot in the arm and just suddenly it wears off. I don't know. And then you get blown back by telekinetic powers and uh, just suddenly it's gone now. Well, to be fair, it isn't like it's knocking you out. It's like putting you in an illusion where you think you're doing the right scene. So I guess, like, a big enough blow to the head can make it stop happening. Yeah, I guess. We learn in this scene that Nightcrawler has been under the mind control of Stryker. The characters don't know that yet, but we as the audience know. Oh, and we had there was a scene where Charles Xavier was talking to Wolverine about Cerebro, and he very clearly states that the white dots are people, the red dots are mutants. And if I concentrate hard enough on one particular group, I will kill them. And Cerebro will allow me to give the power. That's not going to be important in the plot ever again. First off, how does he know that? You don't just know you have the ability to make millions of people die if you concentrate hard enough. What did you do, Charles? Yeah, more than that, billions. Billions of people. Yeah, like, how did you find that out? What did you do, Charles? <laughs> So anyway, Wolverine goes back to the mansion and he talks to Bobby, Rogue's boyfriend, who I guess he never met in the first film. Yeah, no. We skipped over a lot, didn't that, we? That's not a contradiction. I genuinely don't think they ever interacted. But like, yeah, he doesn't know who Bobby is and they introduce each other and they're both like, hey, I care about Rogue and I'm in a complicated relationship and they bond a bit. I love the fact that, you know, war against mutants is about to start. And Professor X, you know what he, he decides to do to protect an entire mansion filled with children? You know, he sends all of the superpowered people away and just says, Hey, Wolverine, you got back. Good thing, because we were going to leave all these children alone in an unsecure mansion with no security systems and no means of protecting themselves other than their powers, but they can't use them because they're fucking asleep. Well, to be fair, I don't think he would have taken Cyclops with him if Wolverine wasn't there. They do specifically note, oh good, Wolverine can be babysitter and protect these kids. And also, let's talk about something that is so on the nose in this movie. Yeah, what's that? Late at night before... 
an army of soldiers show up with guns to kidnap these children and bring them to the death camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. Mil- like, okay, so they say at the end, like, it was just all Stryker and the president befriends them, but, and I mean, that's true within the context of the film, but let's not place all the blame on this man. There was a lot of soldiers who knew he was murdering children. Oh, yes. Like, there is a big chunk of the U.S. government that's okay with genocide, which we'll get into. But anyway, before all the soldiers show up, Wolverine sees another kid who's up late at night watching TV, and he's watching a nature documentary on an animal. I don't know which type, because it was just the narration, but the TV says the babies are helpless now that the mother is away and (laughs) and will probably die. Well, that's a bit on the nose. And then soldiers show up, because mama away, so children in danger. I mean, hey, Brian Singer is many, many things, and Subtle is not one of them, I guess. Yeah. Also, is, isn't he like, what, it, I know we did something, what was it? Oh, oh, good, just double-checking his Wikipedia page, raping children. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be laughing at that, I apologize. Yeah, you really shouldn't. But, I, I don't know, you just said it funny. Man, it does make this movie about children being in danger. Nice. They were in danger in real life, too. Yeah, exactly. We shouldn't joke about this. It's fucking horrible. Yeah, let's move on. I would like to say Wolverine and Bobby, at first they kind of had a little back and forth with each other because Bobby's jealous that Rogue is so infatuated with him. Yeah. Literally, Logan is like 130 years old. Teenage girl. Just fucking move on. Well, at least Logan doesn't reciprocate as we see later on, but ew. Very true. Him and Bobby kind of grow closer in this scene. One of my favorite parts in this movie is when Wolverine pulls out a soda, hands it to Bobby, Bobby blows on it, makes it cool. It's it's just so casual and such a great use of Bobby's powers. God damn, is it so good. He has the power of refrigerator. Yeah. It was so funny. The best X-Man. It's so funny. I mean, he clearly, much like this movie, he has the greatest name, Iceman. I do like how in the comics for years, Iceman wasn't thought to be that strong. But then someone realized, hey, so he can turn his entire body into ice and back. He must be way stronger than we think. And that's why Iceman is an Omega-level mutant. But anyway, yeah, so Stryker and his men break into the Xavier Institute, kidnap a bunch of children. We get a cameo of a bunch of other X-Men members from the comics. We get Colossus, a a shot of Kitty Pride, and that girl that screams is actually Banshee from the X-Men comics. So, I don't know, there's there's some references there, here and there. Yeah, it is nice, like, if you're not going to use Colossus and Shadowcat, at least give them a scene where they beat up some soldiers. Although, I would like to note how on the nose it is. They just have Colossus go into the basement guarding all the children, but the named characters who are important, Wolverine, Pyro, Iceman, Rogue, they're all upstairs and run into the soldiers. And, like, Colossus goes away with most of the kids, and we never see them again. Nope. Because they're safe and that's all that matters. Yeah, don't worry about those kids. They're gone now. Yeah, yeah. The guy that doesn't get name dropped, he'll protect them. It's all right. Yeah, good old Colossus, who is 
kind of lame, actually. Yeah, that's why he's in Deadpool. He doesn't really have much characterization, but just comparing him to the redone version of Colossus that they had in Deadpool. He was much better in Deadpool. Also, side note, this has nothing to do with this film, but the best part about Colossus is his name. Okay, we're making a Russian dude. What should his last name be? Uh, how about Rasputin? That's a common Russian name. Good. And then later on, a different writer decided to make his grandfather be the actual Rasputin. Like, dude who fucked the Russian queen. <laughs> the guy that literally, like, put women in the hospital with his penis. Anyway, Wolverine just unleashes hell on these soldiers. Helps the kids escape. Saves Rogue and Bobby and Pyro. Wolverine in badass, full-on action mode just unleashes his fury on these soldiers. It is badass. And he only stops when he's confronted by Stryker, a guy that he knows from his past. The guy that Professor X secretly knows was responsible for all the experiments and amnesia that Wolverine experienced. Professor X knows this, but refuses to tell Wolverine because reasons. Like, later in the film, Magneto just explains it to Logan, and he's like, Yeah, Charles thought you were smart enough to figure it out on your own. I don't. <laughs> that was a great line, too. Yeah, he's confronted by Stryker, and just before he's about to get answers to what happened to him, Bobby creates a giant ice wall that separates them. And another little fun fact, that ice wall was practical. That was 3,500 pound ice block in the middle of that set that they actually did blow up on set. Why? I mean, it looked good, but... Yeah, but, I don't know, just fun fact. Wolverine, Rogue, Bobby, and Pyro, they all escape. They escape by stealing Cyclops' car because, haha, Wolverine hates Cyclops and they have a rivalry and he keeps stealing Cyclops' shit. But also, they don't have the keys to the car <laughs> and Wolverine starts it by just stabbing the ignition with his cars and turning it. I don't think that would work in real life, but whatever. Yeah, no, not at all. But then again, that's not the only gap in physics that is going to be in throughout the rest of this movie, so... Yeah, so anyway, after escaping, they're like, Hey, Storm and Jean Grey, they're in Boston. Let's go to Boston. Oh, Bobby has some family in Boston. Let's stop by there. I'm sure it will be a happy reunion. But first, let's do some Mystique stuff. She sneaks into Stryker's office and finds out a bunch of information. Where Magneto is. And also, oh fuck, Stryker's genocide plan. And she... Let's talk about how she breaks Magneto out. So she, like, <laughs> tracks down one of the guards who was guarding Magneto, the guy who beat him. And you're like, okay, she's going to disguise as him and then sneak in. And it kind of looks like that's what's going to happen. She, like, lures him into a bathroom by not wearing her mystique makeup and knocks him out. She does not impersonate him to sneak in. Nope. She injects him with a bunch of iron, like enough that would probably kill him in real life. And then when he goes into the prison, Magneto's like, ooh, you have iron in your blood. And he fucking risotto narrows the guy, like pulls out all the iron, makes bullets, and just breaks out prison. It's dumb, but God, is it cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it was in this scene that it, it really occurred to me, Magneto is like, basically Dracula. He is a handsome, sophisticated, suave, 
geniusly intelligent sociopath who relishes in the Well, I pain. wouldn't say sociopath. He's just a bit of a dick. He smiled sometimes. He smiled after he ripped all the blood out of a human being. I'm not saying he's a good person, but I mean the dude had it coming, kind of. Like he beat the shit of this elderly prisoner who couldn't fight back. Like true. true. I'll give you that. Magneto is a complicated character morally, but he's not completely evil. Just does a bunch of evil shit because they don't want the audience to sympathize with them. Yeah, very true. We then cut to them at Bobby's home, and Bobby, like, pulls out some gloves so that Rope can touch people without them dying. I cannot believe no one else thought of that. <laughs> yeah, no. But then Bobby's family comes home, and Bobby comes out. Of his mutant closet. It's not a subtle film. It's a film directed by a bisexual man who is also a child rapist that stars Ian McKellen, who is a gay man, and they heavily influenced the writing of the scene. Let's talk about this, because it is so on the nose. Like, the, can't you not be a mutant? That was one of those lines I was talking about earlier that was so hilariously stupid. X-Men has always been used as a symbol for the oppressed. When it was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby in the 60s, it was heavily about black people. It was about racial oppression in the U.S. And this film updates that to a more modern thing. This movie that came out in 2003 is about gay rights. And you know what? It receives praise because... Gay rights were kind of not great back then. Yeah, no. Sometimes it's shocking when you look back and remember, oh, right, 18 years ago, gay people didn't have rights. Lawrence v. Texas, which legalized the existence of gay people, that was 2003. That happened after this film. Like, when this film came out, it was technically illegal to be gay in 13 states and some of it was a misdemeanor but on the books in idaho and michigan you could get a life sentence for being gay in 2003 18 years ago and i mean those laws weren't enforced very much to be fair but they were still on the books and they were still enforced sometimes they were enforced in 1998 which led to them being repealed right it wasn't like Salem times where, like, for being gay, you were tortured to death, at least in mass. But it still isn't as open and accepted as it is today, in, by any stretch of the imagination. Gay people were treated like shit, both privately and under the law in 2003, which is terrifyingly recent. I'm glad that you mentioned that the purpose of the X-Men as an oppressed people has changed over the years. I'm glad that you brought that up because, as we all know, there is no more racial oppression in America anymore. That issue's solved. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic in case you couldn't hear it from my voice. There also is no more oppression against gay people. Like Exactly! I mean, fuck! Ever since 2015, which was six years ago, it was six years ago when gay people received equal rights across the country. That, that, is, that is too recent, okay? Stop pretending the civil rights fight is over because the U.S. is still filled with fucking bigots and they've just moved on to being bigoted against trans people. And they're still kind of bigoted against gay people, but that's not their focus because it isn't socially acceptable. The point is, everything is fucked. <laughs> Black Lives Matter. 
Trans liberation now. X-Men have always been political. Stop whining about fucking pandering and comics being political, you fucking incel. We're kind of off topic. Anyway, back to the film. Bobby's shitty brother calls the cops on them. And the cops show up and they shoot Logan in the forehead and... He gets knocked out because, I guess, despite the fact that he has an adamantium skull... He don't got an adamantium brain! I mean, he could still get knocked out by a blow to the head, I would assume. True, but in this exact same franchise, he's also been shown to get shot in the head and just, you know, walk it off. And John Pyro, like, his whole thing in this movie is, ooh, he's descending into villainry and teaming up with Magneto. He throws a bunch of fire at the cops and, I mean, I don't... That's supposed to be like, oh, he's evil now. They shot Logan in the head. He doesn't know Logan's immortal. Like, yeah, I, no, he's justified to throw some fire in that scene. And anyway, it all ends with Rogue knocking John out to save the cops. And then the plane shows up and they fly away with Storm and Jean. Because remember, they're in this movie and now the X-Men are united. That's why they call it that. Oh, wait, no. The other third of this team is captured and in prison. God, the more I watch these films, the more I realize Cyclops gets treated like shit so much. Oh, yeah. Like, every subsequent film in the trilogy features him less. Like, spoilers, but the third film just begins with him being killed off. Because he wanted to be in Superman Returns. With Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey. Fucking stacked cast. Stacked cast and crew on that movie. Ugh. Yeah. So anyway, as the plane's flying away, the U.S. Air Force shows up and fire missiles at them, which, I mean, legally they aren't allowed to do that on U.S. soil, but since when has rules stopped the military from doing anything? But anyway, we get a cool scene of Storm creating a bunch of fucking tornadoes to destroy these planes, and it's that great trope in movies where tornadoes don't do anything unless you touch the funnel cloud. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, all those tornadoes and the fact that some jets crashed in upstate New York, that's a lot of destruction, Storm. It's a cool scene, but that's a lot of destruction you just did. And we get a lot of very interesting uses of all the characters' powers in this scene. Because as they're flying back to the mansion, which, that's where they're flying. I don't know if you caught that. I didn't. I'm just like, I just, as I realized, as I'm explaining this movie for this review where the fuck were they gonna go they were going back to the mansion you know the, same, the same exact Why? mansion that was raided and had cerebro stolen from them by an entire military yeah there's nothing there for them like that they're just flying around randomly wasting jet fuel but yeah it's a really cool scene the plane gets hit by a missile and rogue gets sucked out and nightcrawler like teleports out to save her it's cool and they get saved at the end by Magneto, who just happens to be in the woods near them, who catches the plane with his magnetism and lowers it nicely. I would like to point out a couple plot holes in this scene. They're flying back to the mansion where, I don't know if you're aware of this, but 12 hours earlier, there was raided and probably is still occupied by the fucking military that are actively trying to commit genocide against your kind. So going back there is a smart idea, obviously. And Nightcrawler says multiple times in this movie that he can't teleport places without seeing them without risk of his own life, right? Because he could end up in, inside a wall and that'll kill him. But 
Rogue is sucked out of the hole that the missile left, and Nightcrawler just teleports, grabs her, picks her back. Really cool scene, but, you know, he said he couldn't teleport there. And well, they- to be fair, he says he can't teleport places where he can't see. That's not a hard rule. He can do it, he just doesn't because he doesn't want to end up in a wall. Okay, very true. There aren't a lot of walls in the sky, Riley. I know, but still. And we also forgot to mention the scene where Nightcrawler and Storm had a conversation about their different ideologies, about how Storm is very hateful or very guarded against the outside world, but Nightcrawler is very sympathetic, and he says he feels a lot of empathy for the people that fear him because they're never going to know what he's truly like, apart from what he looks like. That's a really good scene. It was added in after the fact because Halle Berry was a big actress and wanted more importance in this movie. Hey, speaking of Storm... She had an accent in the last one, right? Yes. I'm not... Well, it was a very, very shitty light one. Yeah, she doesn't have an accent anymore in this one, which is weird. Thank God. So yeah, they meet up with Magneto and they sit around the campfire while Wolverine is sleeping at night. Mystique sneaks into his tent disguised as Jean Grey so she can fuck him. Ooh, that's creepy. Don't worry. It can get creepier when Wolverine realizes it's her. She's like, ooh, I can be anyone you want. And she transforms into Storm. Uh, oh, okay. And then she transforms into Rogue. Uh-uh. No, don't do that. Eh. Wolverine just shoves her away. Cause, eh. And then once he shoves her away, she transforms into William Stryker. The sexiest motherfucker in the world. I mean, the implication is, you don't want sex, you want revenge. But the way that scene is structured, it's like, okay, you don't want to fuck the teenage girl. Do you want to fuck Hannibal Lecter? (laughs) Fun fact about that scene, the reason why they did that in particular was so that they could have a shot of Halle Berry on top of Hugh Jackman. Which, because at the time, those two were like the big... Hollywood actors. They were two of the biggest named stars and celebrities in Hollywood at the time. And they wanted a publicity picture of the two of them in bed together. So that's why they did that. It was this weird workaround because the thing about that is there is precedent in the comic books for Wolverine and Storm having a relationship. They've had multiple relationships throughout the years. So instead of, you know, fleshing out the characters and fleshing out a believable relationship. They just had this weird, bizarre workaround with Mystique, who just out of nowhere in that one single scene wants to fuck Wolverine. And it is never mentioned again in this film. And is it mentioned in the sequels? What the fuck was that scene? Right, exactly. All it was was to have Halle Berry on top of Hugh Jackman. But the problem is, they could have just had a relationship between Storm and Wolverine. Instead, they continued on with what wasn't working with the previous one and having a shitty, stupid love triangle between Wolverine, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. It's a love triangle that works so much better by the fact that Cyclops gets captured at the start of the film. This guy, who's a third of the love triangle, who at the end, Jean Grey properly chooses, except not really. Like Wolverine at the end says, she chose you, but she didn't. Whatever. (laughs) That doesn't really work if 
she never really interacts with him throughout the movie because he spends 90% of it captured. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that plot line, and it did not get better. Nope, not at all. Fortunately, it'll be great in the third one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Before that scene with Mystique and Wolverine perpetuating that shitty love triangle from the first one. Again, really works well as a sequel, but it continues some of the flaws. Anyway, uh, before that scene, we get a scene of Wolverine making out with and trying to convince Jean to fall in love with him. She's just like, no, no, I'm married. What are you doing? Stop this. This is a shitty subplot. Stop it. We also get a scene of the X-Men teaming up with Magneto and Mystique after Magneto tells them of Stryker's plan. Stryker has been building his own version of Cerebro, which he's going to use Professor X's powers to simultaneously, just in one fail swoop, kill all the mutants in the world. And we, I feel like we probably skipped over some of these scenes. We'll get to it in a second. But Magneto, basically, they tell him Stryker's plan, tell him what needs to happen. They find out where the base is located, which is at Alkali Lake, where Wolverine was at the beginning of the movie, despite the fact that he has superhuman smell. He couldn't smell that there were hundreds of people underneath the ground right there. And also, there. even if it's an underground base, it has a door. Yeah. We see later in the movie that you can walk in. Wolverine did not check very well. There's multiple like, doors. I feel like even if he thought the lab was destroyed, like... Well, might as well look around, see if it triggers anything, look for clues on my path. Nah. Yeah, yeah. He just saw the rubble of that one building and said, Oh, well, fuck that. (laughs) And kept going. But Jean Grey reads Nightcrawler's mind and finds that the base is located underneath Alkali Lake. They team up. Before we get into the climax, I have two comments about how X-Men are in the comics that make this film interesting. First off, a few years back, Bobby Drake, like Iceman, in the comics he came out as gay, which makes this whole film being a gay rights subtext interesting because they use him as the main vehicle for that. I wonder if that's what inspired that in the comics. Also makes his relationship with Rogue kind of weird in this one. Well, his his relationship with Rogue is weird in general because Rogue and Iceman aren't supposed to be in a relationship. Rogue is supposed to be in a relationship with Gambit. Well, I mean, yeah, but... They have such good chemistry that they had to be put together. Yeah, very true. Also, in the comics, Mystique is Nightcrawler's mother. Yeah. And there's nothing to contradict that in the films, but no one ever mentions it, so I guess she isn't Nightcrawler's mother in this film. I'm pretty sure in the comics, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point, I'm pretty sure she was also Rogue's mother. Just a mother and her two kids who aren't kids in this adaptation. Although I guess she can't be their mother, because as we're told in one scene in this movie, the mutant gene is passed down by the father, which in real life would mean there would only be male mutants. And I was going to say, that's obviously fake, but then I looked it up and I can't find a contradiction to that. Like, all the mutants who have kids are either married to another mutant or men. I mean, in the comics, It isn't just passed down by the father. Like, because Scott and Jean's kids all have psychic powers, which implies they inherited from their mother. But I couldn't find a contradiction in the comics. Like, all the mutants that have mutant parents that I could found had mutant fathers. I mean, except for Wycon and Speed, but also, they aren't really mutants. They're mutants, but eh. 
because they were created by magic and then they stopped existing and then they got reincarnated the less you say about those characters the better because they complicated that said i'm excited for them to return in doctor strange 2 is it announced that they're coming back or was it just natural continuation of wanda's character well, at the end of WandaVision, that post-credits scene... Yeah, I know scene, she's hunting for them, but... She, is it hears them, she hears them screaming, help us. Oh, shit, you know what I just realized? What? Like, the multiverse exists now. Is Wanda just gonna pull a Rick and Morty and seal her kids from an alternate universe version of herself? Yes. I don't know for sure, but I'm still gonna say I mean, so. she would. She's kind of become a bit of a bad person in the MCU lately. So anyway, we reached the climax. Time to break into Stryker's base and save Professor X and stop a genocide. Then Mystique sneak in while disguised as Wolverine. Stryker immediately sees through it. But then they all break in anyway, and there's a bunch of fighting. Mystique gets into the control room and locks the door behind her. And the X-Men break in and start fighting the soldiers. There's an entire subplot revolving around Professor X that we have not mentioned once. Oh god, yes, yes. So, like, here's how Stryker mind controls people. His son, Jason, who is trained by Professor X, who he lobotomized, by the way... Because Stryker's fucking awful. His lobotomized son secretes a liquid that allows people to be placed under mind control illusions. And the whole thing is having Jason just mind control Professor X into using Cerebro to kill all the mutants. Like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bit of a backstory regarding Jason and Stryker's hatred of mutants. And that backstory is... Before Stryker led a campaign against all mutants, his son, Jason, was a mutant telepath who can create illusions in people's minds. He sent him to Professor X, but Professor X couldn't help him. He couldn't save him. So Jason started using his powers to torture his parents. And Stryker's wife, Jason's mom, committed suicide in an attempt to escape the torture that their son was giving them. So, in one fail swoop, Stryker lost his entire family and just said, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna commit genocide and torture my son and lobotomize my son. Well, hold on. He didn't lose his whole family. Like, he dehumanizes Jason and uses him as a tool and says that his son's already dead, but while this is on you... Very true. His treatment of Jason just makes him so much more awful. Brian Cox's performance as Colonel William Stryker is just hate-inspiring. Like, we said a bit with Senator Kelly in the first one, just this basically a homophobe douchebag villain who you hate. Stryker is so much more. He's just awful. He's vile. He's realistically vile. Yeah, because Kelly, he would just talk about hate and just spread it through words. Stryker actually legitimately kidnapped children for the purpose of torturing and murdering them. Yeah, he brings some children to his base because, well, I gotta see if the genocide machine works. Also, if Stryker's plan is to use his son to trick Professor X into killing all mutants, doesn't that mean that Jason will die in the process as well? So he doesn't have that mind control anymore? I mean, yeah, but his whole purpose is committing genocide. Do you think he gives a shit? Like, congrats, you won, dude. Yeah, yeah. And for a second, I thought you are like, 
well, his son's going to die too. And I was going to be like, he does not give a shit. But then you're like, but then he doesn't have the mind control. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's more in character of a concern of his. So there is a subplot of Professor X being tricked by Jason throughout the film. Those scenes I found to just kind of drag a little bit, like just slow the movie down to a halt because they're so long. And at the end of the day, they're just repeating information. Oh, he's going down to Cerebro. Oh, find the mutants. Kill them. It is kind of creepy in bits like where it shows professor x rolling up to the machine and then like it just fades away and you see that he's being controlled like it's good but it is a bit long yeah, at times yeah they can trim that and two down. things on that number one you'll be happy to note that in the original cut of the film there was like 15 more minutes of that shit <laughs> and it had a subplot where professor x breaks out of the mind control but then that's actually part of the mind control it's like an inception thing which they cut because it was confusing and pointless and also during those scenes i initially thought that jason was just appearing as professor x's memory of jason but he isn't at the end they say it's a random little girl and like i thought it would be like oh that's gene gray but they never actually confirmed that that's weird no i don't know i think it was just a tactic of jason tricking him you know, seeing this helpless little girl trying to help her. I don't know. So anyway, we have reached the climax. Everyone splits up. So united in this movie. <laughs> they split up in the climax. Jean has a one-on-one -on -one fight with Cyclops where she like just redirects all of his energy, blocking it, then knocks him out. And now he's not mind controlled. Okay. But also he breaks the damn oops. Wolverine has a duel with Lady Deathstrike. There's a fantastic fight scene. Oh, yeah. Because she also got Wolverine powers, as we find out. And the way it ends is phenomenal. So how do you kill Wolverine? Well, they got the vat of the bubbling adamantium just sitting in the base. He, like, takes the tubes that they use to apply to his bones and stabs her in the heart with it, fills her heart with adamantium. Good luck healing for that fantastic scene yes and like as she dies the mind control breaks and it's actually kind of sad as she realizes what she's done yeah that fight scene was really really well done another fun fact behind the scenes that one fight scene took two weeks to film oh i'm sure yeah it's visceral like there's a shot where she's just throughout the entire shot because her claws extend through her fingernails that's why she's like cracking her knuckles all throughout the movie. She's just stabbing and slicing at him. They're about in par with strength, but she's a lot faster than him. And that's why she gets the upper hand. Wolverine outsmarts her and he gets lucky. Another thing worth noting is there are multiple instances in this film where they flash back to Wolverine escaping the Weapon X experiments what gave him amnesia and gave him the adamantium claws and it's some pretty gritty stuff like he's running down a hallway a dingy damp hallway completely naked covered in blood screaming it's a pretty intense flashback moments they're not in him very much but they're in them nonetheless fun fact again about that scene is Hugh Jackman specific, when filming that, he was going to be running down that hallway completely naked. So he asked for a closed set. They just set up the camera, backlight him, have him run at the camera and act, just no one on set. 
The very first take, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, runs out with practical claws on. Those claws on his hands were real. They weren't CGI. They have like a weird like hand grip that you just hold it and it's a physical claws. Point is, they were real claws. He runs out completely naked, sweaty, covered in blood, and then he turns a corner and all the women that worked on that set, including James Marsden's mother, were standing around the corner shaking dollar bills at him like, woo, woo! It was obviously a prank on Hugh Jackman, but what do you do when you have an entire room full of women that see you naked? You cover your genitals, right? The problem is- Oh, fuck. He, oh, no, don't tell me. He had literal knives in his hands when he did that, so he actually stabbed his inner thighs. Like, thank God it wasn't his genitals. He could have lost oh, his- Oh, God, dick. imagine that. Woo, it's going to be an awesome prank. Haha, <laughs> we're going to make him a stripper. And honestly, that's kind of a fucked up thing to do. Yeah. Says a lot about Brian Singer. And haha, it can't be an awesome prank. Oh, fuck. Oh, 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 God. Oh, God. We cut off Hugh Jackman's dick. Oh, oh <laughs> fuck. Yeah. So Hugh Jackman almost lost his dick filming those scenes. Why were the claws so sharp? I don't know, but they stabbed. <laughs> he stabbed his inner thighs. So anyway, Storm and Nightcrawler rescue all the children. That's cool. And they let Mystique and Magneto go to rescue Professor X. And I have talked before about my problems with Magneto as a character. And really, this is a thing in superhero media in general, where they have this person who is a sympathetic villain, who's like revolutionary. In his film, for most of it, Magneto, who is a Holocaust survivor, by the way, which just makes it so nice. For the whole movie, they have this anti-hero who is fighting against genocide, but they don't want the audience to sympathize with him because he likes using force to solve his problems of the U.S. government trying to exterminate his people. So he can't be sympathetic, so they have to have him do some fucking bullshit at the end of the movie. And this is the greatest bullshit Magneto has ever done in any movie. So he stops the genocide of all the mutants, but then he's like, hey Charles, instead kill all the non-mutants. <laughs> Why you always gotta do this? Yeah, it's... I get what you're coming from, and I completely agree. That was a pretty shitty... I mean, it's just like, uh, he's the villain, so he's gotta do bad shit. But at the end of the day, he's trying to prevent the genocide of his people. Yeah... But don't worry, no one dies. Well, actually, probably thousands of people die because all the humans on the planet suddenly become so incapacitated with pain that they cannot think and just collapse. Like, oops, hope you weren't in surgery or driving because you're fucking dead now. But yeah, they stop it in actually a surprisingly creative way. I thought, oh, they'll just have Jean Grey stop it because her powers are building. But they actually did something more creative where Nightcrawler teleports Storm into the Cerebro room and then Storm just makes it really cold because Jason's powers are he secretes mind control juice and it all just freezes to his skin. That was creative. Yeah, yeah. And now everything's good. And Wolverine catches Stryker. Stryker's like, 
Ooh, you are always a monster. I just gave you the claws. And then they find out the dam's collapsing. And Wolverine chains Stryker up so that Stryker will die with them. And he runs back into the base to try and save the team. And they all get out. And Magneto impales Stryker on a rock so he dies. The X-Men, oh no, the dam's gonna break and kill them. There's Rogue with the plane. She did something in this movie, I guess. Yeah, also, Pyro's nowhere to be found because he attacked the police that shot his teacher. Yeah, his teacher. Wolverine claims to be a professor. He is very clearly not a teacher. You know what I realized while watching this movie? Wolverine is the Marvel equivalent of groundskeeper Willie. <laughs> he works at a school. He is not a teacher. He's this angry, buff, hair immigrant. He's groundskeeper Willie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Pyro defects and joins up with Magneto, I guess, which we don't actually see. Just, hey, where's Pyro? Professor X with his mind powers. Oh, he's with Magneto. He had one conversation with Magneto where Magneto told him you're a god among insects. And then so he's like, okay, I'm convinced. Having not seen Last Stand, I assume he's like a minion of Magneto in that. Does he do anything? Yeah, he has a does have a rivalry with Iceman. Okay, that's cool that they actually do something with it. But yeah, Rogue shows up to save them with the plane. JK, she fucking crashes it. Yeah. Jean has to sacrifice herself by getting out of the plane and lifting it up with her mind powers, which she couldn't do inside the plane, I guess. I literally wrote that down right here. Why couldn't she do this from inside the plane? The most charitable explanation is that she can feel, because throughout the film, she's like slowly losing control of her powers and she's like, oh, something bad's going to happen soon. The most charitable explanation is that she just killed herself on purpose. But I don't know. Also, side note, I'd like to note uh, Jason, this boy who was abused and lobotomized by his father, (laughs) who's such a tragic character, who's in a wheelchair, by the way. It's not like he can run away through the woods. Did they just leave him in the dam to die? Uh, Charles! Don't do that. Yeah, so Wolverine has one final meeting with Stryker before Stryker drowns in the flood. He's given a choice, either continue on with the X-Men or save Stryker and he'll give him all of the answers he's looking for. Wolverine says, no, I'm going to go with the X-Men because that's where I belong. I have all my answers that I need and I'm good. Jean Grey sacrifices herself to save the X-Men by lifting up a plane that she could have lifted from inside the plane. Also, there was one other thing. Oh yeah, and uh, there is one really small thing. Earlier in the movie when Magneto saves the X-Men from crashing after they get shot with the missile, he tells them, when will these people ever learn to fly? I personally got a little upset by that line, not because of the movie, well, kind of because of the movie. Rogue is one of the most powerful X-Men because she has Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers versus powers, right? So she can fly in the comics, but she can't fly. And I interpreted that as saying, oh yeah, she just can't fly. Make, make, fuck you. No comic accuracy. I mean, even saying side rogue, like in the comics, don't Storm and Jean Grey regularly fly around by using their mind powers on themselves? 
Well, Storm isn't mind powers. I've been saying mind powers a lot in this movie. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a funny yes. term for psychic abilities. Storm like controls wind, whatever. Magneto also flies in the comics. Very true. But Magneto does at some points throughout this trilogy, at least, all three Jean Grey, Storm, and Magneto all fly at one point. Or at least levitate themselves to the point, you know? I don't know, it was a dumb thing. Yeah, right, right. And the last one, Storm like flipped the elevator's shaft and then said, do you know what happens when a toad gets hit by lightning? It fucking dies, bro. What the fuck was that movie? Storm does have a lot more to do in action scenes in the third installment in this franchise. Okay, that's good. I'm happy about that. Also, yeah, so Jean Grey sacrifices herself. We get a glimpse at the Dark Phoenix, which is a storyline they're going to completely fuck up in three of the upcoming movies. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah, I love that they fucked it up. So they did it again. And they fucked it up again. Even worse. The X-Men go directly to Washington, D.C., where the president is about to give a press conference to the United States about the recent attacks on humanity and on his life. Then out of nowhere, all the lights go out, everyone in the room freezes, storm, lightning, thunder, rain just starts out of nowhere, and the X-Men show up and confront him with the proof that Stryker was behind all these attacks, urging the president to do the right thing and not start a war against mutant kind. We're here to stay, Mr. President, and you need to accept that. Yeah. Also, the implication is, I I do like that they finally have Charles do something more than just go before Congress and say, please don't genocide us. The implication in that scene is, we could very easily kill you, so, you know, fucking don't. Well, I also loved that the president was like, look, I don't respond to threats. And he goes, oh no, this isn't a threat. This is us making our case, you know? But just really think about this for a second, Charles. I really want you to realize what you're doing. You showed up unannounced and uninvited in the White House. You're standing in black clothing in a dark room, superpowers, actively telling him to accept their presence. One of the team members is a fucking demon, or looks like a fucking demon. By the way, that's the exact same one that tried to kill the president 48 hours earlier, and he's just supposed to say, oh yeah, you guys aren't that bad. Come on, Chuck. Come on, Chuck. Think about it. I mean, yeah, but fuck the president. The pre- the president the president signed off on genocide. I mean, he didn't know he was signing off on genocide. He just gave this genocidal man thousands of soldiers and billions of dollars to do secret funding and confirmed his go to a school with guns and kidnap all the children. Very true. I'm not excusing that. I'm just saying, why does Chucky got to lie? That's all I'm asking. He's like, oh, this isn't a threat. You are very clearly threatening him. Come on. Stop lying. So anyway, the film ends, and for some reason, it shows the lake, and hey, what's that? Is that- Oh, that's a fucking Phoenix logo! Oh! Oh no! I will say, X-Men The Last Stand, before we continue on, uh, I know there's a lot of stigma against X-Men The Last Stand. I think of X-Men Last Stand as, like, Spider-Man 3. A lot of people hate it, but at the end of the day, I really don't think it's that horrible. It's decent, if not meh. Point is, X-Men Last Stand isn't that bad. 
I mean, not that bad is a very wide thing you said. Well, what I mean by that, you know what I mean by that, is like people talk about how it's one of the worst comic book movies ever made. No. Oh, God, no. We have seen worse comic book movies on this show. And even as a movie, I do, whatever, we'll talk about that in a few months when we review that movie. Point is, I don't think it's as bad as everyone says. But that was X-Men, or no, sorry, that was not X-Men 2. That was X2, X-Men United. Sorry, I gotta get the title right. Let's talk about what's good in this movie. The great castings from the last one and the kind of mediocre castings from the last one continue. It overall, it feels more polished. It it feels better shot. The action is better. It has faster pacing. A lot more characters have screen time. Although, to be fair, Rogue kind of gets pushed to the back and Cyclops fucks Cyclops in this movie. Yeah. It has a great villain. It gives a lot of great character moments for a lot of different characters. Overall, I think this is a solid sequel that continues what works in the past one. Although at the same time, there were things that didn't work in the past one and... (laughs) One thing that struck me was, I think visually speaking, this movie is a step up from the previous. While I do appreciate the almost noir-inspired visual style of lighting and use of shadows from the first one, while I do appreciate that, I think this one, from a lighting perspective and a cinematography and color perspective, is a much more visually interesting and better shot of the two films. Added to the fact that I do think that since this one got a much bigger budget than the previous, it does have a lot more money for special effects, more effective special Special effects, bigger and better, more creative uses of powers. I think that in many respects, this movie looks better than the first one. And that's saying something because the first one I thought looked pretty decent for the most part. Like you said, William Stryker is a fantastic villain. He's just menacing and hateful and vile. And god damn, is he good. This is obviously based off the X-Men storyline, God Loves, Man Kills. And Stryker was a priest in yes. that one, which is interesting. Yes, he was a fanatical preacher that argued that mutants were a sin against God. But in this one, they made him a colonel in the army and uh, in charge of an entire, you know, concentration camp of child experimentation. <laughs> you know, so he's a bit darker of a guy. There are a lot of things to love about this movie. I think the action is better. I agree. I think the pacing is, for the most part, much better, though. There are some scenes, particularly the shots of Jason tricking Professor X. Those scenes slow it down, but for the most part, the pacing is really good. One thing that I think the first film did better is, in terms of character development, I think the first film did it a bit better in terms of what they were trying to go for. Like, is the script... The first one, it's this great Wolverine movie about him being a father figure to Rogue. In this one, it gives more to the rest of the team, but less to Rogue and a bit less to Wolverine. It focuses on more characters, and there, and, and and that's not to say that there's no emotional core in this. Like, Storm and Nightcrawler have a really great relationship that's very well fleshed out. It's a shame that they didn't want Nightcrawler back for the next installment. Oh, you're kidding me, really? Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe they just figured they were having too many blue characters because they had Mystique. (laughs) They introduced Beast. 
Maybe they just figured they were having too many blue characters. But yeah, Nightcrawler's not in the next one. And that's a shame, because I think he's the best part of this movie. Him and Storm have really great dialogue together. They have great relationship. They have a great arc. This is less of a character piece and more of an ensemble action thriller, which, since that's what it's going for, it does a damn good job at achieving that. But for me, I felt like the first film, the script was very tight and had the characters in the same situations in all similar locations. But this one, like we joked about all the time, the X-Men are not united for a majority of this film. They're off into different groups doing different things, which works. It's just in terms of developing characters in the same way they did in the first film, they doesn't achieve that quite as well. And honestly, I didn't really feel anything when Jean died. Oh, no, no, I did not care either. Jean just kind of stared off camera confused and scared this entire movie. That's all she did. And then died. There's a lot to like about this movie. It's a great sequel to the first one, which I do think is a damn good movie. There are a lot of the similar problems, though I personally found a lot more plot holes than the first one. That said, I think the action's a big improvement, the special effects, the cinematography. Yeah, it's really good. It's a damn good movie. But that said, it's far from a perfect one. And I think that the plot holes mixed with the darker tone, the film taking itself so seriously and yet having so many ridiculous plot points. That said, this movie knows when to have fun. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling. Let me rein you in. What number do you give to X2? For me, it's pretty on par with the first film in the f in this franchise. So, you know what? I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. That's half a point higher than what I gave the first one. It's still probably my favorite of the two, but both of them are damn good movies. Yeah, I'd say it's slightly better than the first one, but I'd still give it an 8.5. Overall, it's a solid movie. Yeah. It's a good X-Men movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a really great time. Speaking of great times, Riley, have you had a great time making this show? I really have, actually. Well, we've been doing this shit for more than a year now. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's what we're doing next week. We're talking about how we've been filming the show for a long time. And by a long time, I mean a year, which isn't really a long time. We're doing an anniversary thing, like a few weeks after our actual anniversary. <laughs> what episode is this? Is this 52? 54! We're a bit off. Oh, okay. Well... Better late than never. And we'll be doing that next week, assuming we don't come out to our parents as mutants and they hate us. Actually, side note, I forgot. It was a dumb moment. When Bobby's coming out, his mother is like drinking tea and he shows off his powers by just freezing the tea solid. Uh -huh. That was a dick move, Bobby. Your mom worked hard on that. You're trying to come out to her and make sure she still loves you despite the fact that you chose this lifestyle. I'm, again, being sarcastic. Do not mistake my sarcasm for bigotry at all. You ruined her tea, but the cat loved it. The cat still loves you, man. Good kitty. Yeah. And we'll be doing that next week. Uh, Riley, where find this show if want? If you want to find more about this show, follow us on YouTube at Silver Age Silver Screen, where we post full episodes, and we'll be posting some of our live streams in a couple weeks. Or at least that's the plan. I don't know. Follow us on YouTube at Silver Age Silver Screen. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Silver Age Silver Screen, where we post updates to this show and a lot of other bonus content. Just having a good time. On Twitter, you can follow us at Silver Age Silver 
one. Who took the actual name? I think it was just too long. That's that's like what our official profile is. Just look up Silver Age Silver Screen on Twitter. You'll find it. Uh, you you can find yeah. Just do that. Fuck that. Um, I'm rambling. I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the social media manager, and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But you can find me on YouTube at Riley Thorpe, where you can check out all of my short films. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok, and also Facebook and Twitter at Riley James Thorpe, where you can check out all of my content there. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Jarms Casey, J-A-R-M-E-S-C-A-S-E-Y. Also plugging something, I have new book coming out in like less than two weeks after this comes out called Double Elimination the Machine. It's also a sequel, also about superheroes. Hell yeah. It's fitting. Check it out. And also check out his video essays. Oh yeah, they're Actually, yeah, that's even more apt because... In the first one, in the My Hero Academia one, I rant about Magneto, and then I rant even more about it in, like, what was it, part three of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier three-part video essay series? Yeah. I have similar thoughts on Flag Smasher that I have on Magneto. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I ranted in part two, too. I have a lot of rant- I have- I have multiple video essays ranting about this shit. Go watch them. They're on my YouTube channel, which is- my name, Casey Jarms. Anyway, as always, I'm Casey Jarms. And I'm Riley Thorpe. And hey, it's just a movie. Don't lose your head about it. Especially not to a ladder.